Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Read your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Leviticus chapter 18. We're looking at chapters 18 through 20. We're going to be just introducing the passage this week. And again, I want to encourage you to be reading with us and bringing in your own Bible and joining with us. The title is Do Not Be Like Your Neighbor. Let me ask you, if you ever have your parents, and I'm sure this happened, maybe even done it. If Tommy, if your friend Tommy were to jump off a cliff, would you do the same thing? Anybody have your parents say something similar to that? Okay. Yeah, you, you know what they're saying. Would you do the exact same thing that your friend would do? You know, we have those types of phrases. Have, have any of you ever heard the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? This is an old proverb attributed actually to St. Ambrose. It actually has its history in, in church history. Uh, the story goes that St. Monica and her son, St. Augustine, which many of us know as, as one of the great fa- fa- church fathers, he found out that Saturday was observed as a fast day in Rome. But they lived uh, and they planned to visit Rome. But in Milan, where they were living, they didn't fast. So they asked him and says, well, should we be fasting? And St. Andrew said, when I'm here in Milan, I do not fast on Saturday. But when I am in Rome, I do fast on Saturday. That reply is said to brought about the saying, when in Rome, do uh, as the Romans do. Now, that's a phrase that's come to mean that when visiting a foreign land, Follow the customs of those who live in it. Or it can also mean that when you're in an unfamiliar situation, you should follow the lead of those who know the ropes. Well, today, as we look in Scripture, we're going to see that God's advice, Yahweh's advice to Israel is not when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Canaan, don't do as the Canaanites. When in Egypt, don't do as the Egyptians. Now, But before we move on to 1825, we're moving into a a different section now, Leviticus. I want to take a moment to quickly review for those who may not have been there and just to remind us, because it has been a long journey over these last eight weeks, what we've learned so far. The purpose of Leviticus, again, a book that many of us, our eyes glaze over and our mind says, oh, I'm just waiting for the movie. And I'm not even sure if I'd be able to see the movie if it came out. Leviticus is simple, as the Bible Project notes, that Leviticus, God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. It's where God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. And this is just an editorial note, a pastoral note. You'll always see in scripture that God is always the initiator of a relationship with him. He's the one that provides all that we need. It's not about us working our way or earning our way or being born into the right family or born into the right thing. It's always God graciously providing and initiating the contact. Leviticus serves really as part two of Exodus as the ongoing drama of the children of Israel. And it serves as a pit stop as they're on their way moving towards the promised land. Yahweh is in the process of fulfilling his redemptive plan that was first addressed in Genesis 3.15 in the garden to Adam and Eve and then reiterated in the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the book of Genesis. After delivering them from slavery in Egypt, God is now leading them to the promised land in Canaan, but yet 
Here's a stop at Mount Sinai where they, where they received the Ten Commandments. After receiving the Ten Commandments, God now is giving these instructions that we see here in Leviticus. Leviticus is taking place, if you like a history buff, you like to know the time, it's about 30 days. It's about 30 days is what Leviticus, Leviticus is taking place right after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now what we're going to see though, as we saw in Exodus, in our study of Exodus, Israel has not been faithful. Very quickly, they fall into idol worship. They fall back into their Egyptian ways. Remember, as Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, what do they do very quickly? They go to Aaron and says, make us gods so that we can worship them. We don't know what happened to Moses. However, God is still faithful. And God will always provide a way for them to approach him in worship. So the Leviticus is God's instructions for a newly redeemed people teach them how to worship and obey him. The Bible Dictionary notes that Leviticus enshrines the laws by which the religious and civil organization of this primitive theocracy, a rule by God, in Canaan was to be regulated. So he's preparing them for when they go to Canaan. As we worked our way through this book, we learned that God has instituted four temporary solutions in his redemption plan. It's all pointing to the Christ, but first he does four things. You'll see them here on the monitor. First, you'll see that he institutes some rituals that include sacrifices and festivals. Number two, we see that he defines or puts in what's called some purity laws, the holiness code, that define what is clean and unclean. We think of this of what they could eat, what they could not eat, what they could touch, what they could not touch. Thirdly, we saw the priest the high priest and also the Levite priest who were ordained to serve as mediators between God and man. We looked at that as who can contend between God and man. They were afraid of God. They did not want to approach God and yet they were also unholy. So God put mediators who God would speak to and then they would speak to the people and vice versa. And then fourthly, as we've been looking at the last three or four weeks, is that day of atonement, which we just memorized or memorialized here a little bit with the Lord's Supper, is that points to the need of a substitute and a redeemer as Jesus comes and atones for their sins. For the Hebrews of that day, it was the the goats, the two goats and the rams and the lambs. So as we started this series, we noted three things that God's calling them to. First, God is calling them to worship. In other words, that's the proper response to the creator of the universe and to the one who's the redeemer. He's also is calling them to holiness, and that's the proper pursuit of those who are God's children. And then thirdly, he's calling them to obedience. And that's where we're going to be parking for the next few weeks, is he's calling them to obedience. It's the proper action of 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 a grateful heart for what God has done for them. In Exodus chapter 19, it's here on the monitor, we read what God had promised Israel. It's important for us as we continue on. And I believe it should be there in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So as they're going to the promised land, God is saying, I'm pulling you out to be distinct, to be different. You're to be holy. You're to be set apart. There is something about you that will mark you as different. And as we looked back in the sacrifices, those were going to be different. We looked at the things that they could eat, their diet, that would mark them out as as different, as well as how they interacted, the clothes they would wear, and things of that nature. God is calling his children to be different 
from the world around them. They are to be a light, something that points them and says, there's something different about you. What is it? Why do you not react, respond, or live as we do? And this is what God is doing. Now, for you and I, as we read through the Leviticus, which makes it really difficult, is many of these customs and laws and observances are very strange and foreign to us. We don't practice them today. And they seem strange to us. And the words are strange. And the rituals are strange. But yet we see that we're no longer called to do those as they're fulfilled by Christ. But we've learned that they're still important for us to read and understand. Because Leviticus tells us something about God. It tells us four things. Well, it tells us five. We're going to look at four and the fifth one today. Is in just as remembrance it that Leviticus reminds us of the grace of our God and the cost of our sin. Remember, the cost of our sin is death. So something must die. But it also demonstrates God's grace and mercy in providing a mediator, one who can contend with God for us, one who can advocate. <clears throat> it also explains what God requires of those who approach him in worship. We must approach him as he has given us uh, instructions. We must be very careful in them. And then fourthly, the one that we've been looking at the last four weeks is that it foreshadows forgiveness of sin in the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to learn the first re- fifth reason. But before we do that, I want us to go to Leviticus chapter 18. And I want to read the first five verses. Let's read those silently as I read out loud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall do not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statues. You shall, not follow, you shall follow my rules and keep my statues and walk in them. In verse 4, I am the Lord your God. In verse 5, you shall therefore keep my statues and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. Finishing, I am the Lord. Father, we pray as we open up your word that you give us wisdom discernment. Let us discern between your truth and just my mere words. And Father, help me give me strength to just get through this with the cold and the coughing. But Father, I pray that we not be distracted, but we give our whole heart to the reading and the understanding of your word. Thank you for it. We thank you for your son who comes and bought for us the atonement we so desperately need. But then Father, as we now turn to this call to obedience, the proper response of a grateful heart, I pray that you would strike each and every one of this morning. Lord, that we would examine our heart to see if we have that attitude that is grateful, one that is full of gratitude, one that is full of love and ready to obey you in all things. We pray that you work among us and Lord, that your spirit will have free reign. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, just to summarize it up, and then we can just dismiss if you like, is Israel is called to live differently from the Canaanites. But if you'd like to stay for a little bit more, I have just a few more for you. Israel is called to live differently than the Canaanites that they're going to live among. Now that may have been, uh, they, now, that, now that they have been redeemed and given instructions on how to approach them in worship, Yahweh is preparing them for the culture clash that is about to happen as they enter the, the, uh, the promised land. In essence, he's warning them against living as the Egyptians that they just left and then adopting the practices of the Canaanites that God will actually have them seek out 
to fight and to drive out of the land of Canaan. In other words, he's demanding that they live as children of God. Isn't that interesting that God would want you to live as one of his children and not as disobedient sons? He's preparing. He knows their heart. Already they have proven themselves to be hard-hearted and rebellious. Yahweh wants them to live as those that have actually been redeemed from slavery, not going back to that yoke. They had cried out to God for deliverance. Remember in our study in Exodus? And God heard and God saw, God knew. And remember, God remembered his covenant promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he sent a deliverer in the scheme of Moses and brought them out. Now, take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus 19. We'll do just a little bit of page turning. When we see these next few verses, we're seeing God calling them to live out that atonement that we've looked at in chapter 16. Now that you've been set free from, your, from forgiveness of sin and now you're able to approach me, he says, I want you now to live in a certain way. Look at Leviticus 19, the first two verses. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Thank you. Now turn to the next chapter, verse, uh, chapter 20. Verse 7, he says, consecrate yourself, clean yourself, set yourself apart. Therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You should continue to see that phrase. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies. You go down to verse 26 of the same chapter. Again, God being redundant. But we understand redundancy is the key to learning, right? You shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples, that you shall be what? Mine. This is God's people, and he wants them to be not only identified by, by him and with him, but he wants others to look and say, there is something different. These are the Lord's chosen. Which leads us to the fifth point of why you and I should read Leviticus, dwell on it, meditate, and why it's good for us today. Because Leviticus outlines, as you see on the monitor, how God's people are to be holy as God is holy. And you and I know what's good for the Israelites is still good for us today. Their call is our calling. Peter says, be ye holy as I am holy, as we studied in 1 Peter. As you work your way through the rest of the Leviticus and the Old Testaments, we read of the many ways that the Canaanites were wicked. Their culture was full of demonic worship and cultic ceremonies and despicable customs. Now turn back to Leviticus 18 and verse 24. And you're going to see what God is about to do here as they enter into the promised land. For in this passage of 18, verse 24, Yahweh warns them, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. And we'll, take a, uh, we'll go back a little bit later in the next few weeks and look at some of these things. He says, but for by all these things, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. So remember, these people in God's eyes are unclean. They're to be driven out in verse 25. And not only that, the land has become unclean. So that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. What a, what a word picture there. But you, in verse 26, shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. 
for the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. God has to prepare his people and the land for his presence. Look at verse 28. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among the people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Let me ask you, do you think God takes this kind of seriously? I think he means business. Remember, we talked about the impact of being cut off and having God's face set against you. What a, what a drastic and terrible thing that is to be, to be outside the covenant promises of God. And so God is warning, warning them, I'm giving you some practices. I'm going to give you some things that you need to observe so that you will not be vomited out by the land and destroyed. So God has given them some painstaking rituals and instructions on how to approach him in worship. They were to remain vigilant in their pursuit of holiness. God's mercy is followed by a call to obedience. And this call for obedience goes out to you and I as well. One theologian remarks that because God is holy, you and I are to be holy. Leviticus outlines how Israel was to distinguish itself or be holy from the other nations in every aspect of their lives. Leviticus also highlights the promised blessings for those who pursue holiness and the threatened curses for those who do not. But at the same time, at the conclusion of the book as we come to it, the book exposes God's merciful heart as he promises forgiveness to all those who repent of his sin. That's not just for Leviticus, but that's the gospel as well. Now it's important, as we come and we remember what Christ has done for us here at the table and on the cross. It was foreshadowed by what was done on the Day of Atonement when they would bring the goats. Remember, one they would kill, confess the sins of the people, kill. The other they would confess, well, the one they would kill, the other they would confess the sins and they would send the goat off. It's important to remember what the atonement has done. You see, our deliverance from the penalty of sin. That's what the atonement has done. It's also delivered us from the power of sin. In other words, you and I now can live holy lives. When we sin now, it's no longer but slavery, but also but a willingness to go into sin. But he's given us the power to say no and to fight sin. But not only that, it's also deliverance from the presence of sin. And that's where you and I today are. We're in that mixture and that tension as we know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that we can break and break the power of sin, but yet we're fighting it. We're still struggling with it. But yet we yearn for that day when the presence of sin we're delivered from. And I, I think that's where I am today. You know, I just, Lord, just come quickly. But while we await that final deliverance from the presence of sin, you and I are called to be obedient we are not to fall back into slavery and to sin. The apostle Peter warns us in his, gospel, in his letter that as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions, he says, of your former ignorance. It's a sad thing when someone comes and proclaims Christ, follows him in baptism, begins to come to church, 
But you and I know this story, but then eventually you find them falling back into the old ways of living. They begin to make friends with their sin. They no longer fight it with all they have. And we go back into that former ignorance. It's a sad thing. It's a dangerous thing. But he goes on to say, but as he who has called you holy, be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, be holy as I am holy. You and I, if we've, I'm reiterating what we've been studying through Leviticus, is you and I are to pursue holiness with all we have. And I would bring your attention to 1 Peter. Our message is there on the web, www.orangevilla.org. We did 1 Peter and 2 Peter just a couple years ago. And I call you to just look at that passage and what God has called us to. And it's based on what Jesus has done for us. So I don't want to be redundant in that area, but we need to look as that God has called us because the atonement, it's to compel us to follow him and pursue him. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would please. You'll see that as part of God's redemptive plan. As he takes disobedient, rebellious children, those who are considered enemies of God, and he turns them into obedient, loving children. The Bible tells us that he makes us friends of God, no longer vessels of wrath, but vessels of mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2 of verse 1, the Apostle Paul reminds the Ephesians that they too were once dead in their trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature of wrath like the rest of mankind. I pray that you are no longer in that, that you've been transformed into, uh, transfer, transferred into the kingdom of light. But he says, once we were like that, we were Canaanites spiritually. We lived as they did. However, as we move on to verse 4 of that chapter, read but, what a great word, forget all what's come before, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which with thee loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, underline this, is this not underline your Bible, please, made us alive unto Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Like the ancient Israels, we, we have been redeemed out of Egypt. And warn, do not go back to Egypt, but do not adopt the practices of the Canaanites. And though you and I are not saved by works, you and I are saved for works, for obedience. As Paul continues to write in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I are called to follow him in obedience. Take up your cross and what? Follow me. Well, just as God's, or God's mercy was to compel the Israelites to worship, to holiness and obedience, so it should be for us today. 
But even much more so, one theologian notes, in a day when holiness is neglected, we need to be reminded that we're to be holy as God is holy. God blesses holiness. Thankfully, Jesus himself has taken on the curse of the Mosaic law, covenant and has provided the perfect obedience. In other words, he became that, those goats for us. He came what God required. Now, all those who repent of their sin will, feed, will receive the promise of forgiveness in Christ and are therefore able to relate to a holy God. For those of us who have repented of our dead sins, recognizing that we cannot earn our way or, or, or cover the gap, between God's holiness and our wretchedness, God says Christ stands there for us. But he also exclaims there that the way that you and I relate to a holy God is to love him. That's the proper heart response. John the Apostle reminds us that we love not because we loved him, but because he loved us first. And then he exclaims, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should become his children. And as children of God, we are called to love him. And one of the ways that we show that we love someone, that we care for them, is to obey him. What did Jesus tell his disciples? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now the commandments to the Israelites are going to take the form of do not be like the Egyptians, do not be like the Canaanites. God warns them that the Egyptians and the Canaanites are marked for destruction due to their sinful, wicked, and evil ways. Again, remember that, that word picture. They, they've been vomited out. Even their very presence has, 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 um, has dirtied the land. But as we move through the rest of Leviticus, we'll read of the commands and instructions that Yahweh, to give, that Yahweh will give to Israel in order to lead them into holiness and to protect them from falling into sin. In all, God will give Israel 613 commandments to follow. And we know that Israel fails miserably, do we not? And they eventually fall into a cycle. A cycle of rebellion against God, repentance and restoration, then only to fall back into that as you get into Joshua and Judges. <coughs> Until eventually... They are expelled from the land themselves. You see, the Israelites did not take the commands of God seriously. Instead of forsaking the Egyptians and the Canaanite lifestyle, they began to yearn and learn their wicked ways, adopting the same evil customs and even worshiping the demonic pagan idols. Like Lot's wife, they looked back to Sodom, desiring what they left behind, but yet like Lot himself, they looked forward to Sodom, desiring what it offered. And I'm afraid there's many Christians today that you're in the same way. You're here and you've accepted Christ, but yet you look back to your old lifestyle wishing you can continue that. Or you look at what the world is offering and say, well, I kind of would like to entertain myself, have fun and pleasure and enjoy all these things that they have. But God has called us not to. In our study, we know what's going to happen to the things of this world. They too will be vomited out destroyed. But yet I'm as guilty just as you are. I look back at some things and I look forward to some things and I think, boy, wouldn't it be nice to just dabble in that? 
in our pursuit of holiness becomes slow or becomes non-existent. A.W. Tozer captures their folly as well as ours when he writes, and I'd like for you to see this on the monitor, because <coughs> I'd really like for this just to sink in. Because I think he's describing not only the Israelites, but he's describing us today. He says, people think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. We are not here to fight, we are here to frolic. We are not in a foreign land, we're at home. We are not getting ready to live, but we're already living. And the best we can do is rid ourselves of our inhibitions and our frustrations and live this life to the full. Let the Holy Spirit just let that resound in your heart for a moment. Where do you see your heart? Young person, if you're here this morning, pursue holiness. Pursue the things of God. This world has nothing to offer you but pain and destruction. You can trust that God's word is true. This pastor, A.W. Tozer, agrees with the Apostle Paul who charged the Colossians Colossians, that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things in the earth. Where is your heart setting? What is it residing? What are your dreams and aspirations? Are they the things of God? If one were to look at your Instagram, Facebook, your Twitter, would it look at your bank book, would it look at your calendar, the way you entertain yourself, your Netflix and all the other things, would it strike you as someone who is different? Or would someone confuse you and as an Egyptian or a Canaanite? That's for you, not for me to decide. I have to tell you, my own heart is already condemning me as I stand here and share what I'm sharing with you. With a broken heart, I preach and I know that I am stuck in this uh, netherland as well. And I'm wondering, Lord, uh, you know, as Paul says, who will deliver me from this wretched man? Like David, we should cry out, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way. See, God is charging the Israelites to be prepared to fight for holiness. And the way that they do that is through the obedience to the commands of God. And I call you today that you need to be prepared to fight for holiness in all things. And you only do that through obedience to the commands. Do not look back and do not be distracted by the things that this world has to offer. The Apostle John warns us, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, he said is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, and whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me ask, do you want to abide forever in the land? God calls us to obedience. Reminds me of an old gospel song, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. 
My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I believe that there are many here today in the Christian church that if God were to say, oh, come on, it's time to go home, we would say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We think of God as one who's honking his horn. He's saying, come on, I'm outside. I'm ready to come. And we're like, one more minute. One more minute. And I know what it's like. I'm that way. I've lived my life that way. Lord, don't come back until I get married. Lord, don't come back until I have children. Lord, don't come back until I have grandchildren. Now I'm kind of thinking of great-grandchildren. That's years away. We're so wrapped up in this world. We're saying, God, it's not time for you to come back. We fail as they did when we fail to obey God as he's called us to. We forget the mercy and love of God that is so beautifully portrayed at the cross of Christ. One might cry out, wait, foul, Pastor Rob. How can we even begin to obey 613 commands? Well, you'd be right. You're not called to obey those 613 commands. One might shout out, well, wait a second. How can I know how to please God? The scripture is, is so big and I just don't know. Well, the answer is simple. 2,000 years ago, a young man trying to make himself look good and justify himself to Jesus asked a simple question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might, and your might. And this is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all of the 613 commandments, including those of the Ten Commandments, are completed, are done when you and I love God and love others. Obedience is fueled by love. As we move through the rest of chapters 18 through 27, that's going to become clear. I'd like for you to turn one last time to 1 John chapter 5 as we begin to close out this morning is that when God is calling them to obey, he's calling them to love him, to love others. And as you read through Leviticus, that's all that they are doing. Putting out laws, determining what it is that shows love to God and love to others. Pretty simple. You and I will do the same. But in 1 John, New Testament, near the end of the book, for chapter 5, in this passage, we're going to learn some amazing things about those who are children of God. It says everyone in verse uh, 5, verse 1, I believe. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. Very simple. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. There it is again. For this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory has overcome the world, is our faith. Closing with verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me end with these seven things, just real quickly. The scripture is telling us, is that we love others. We love God. We obey his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. He, we will overcome the world. That our faith is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the substitute sacrifice and substitute scapegoat. And that it's that our faith that makes us of children of God. And then repeat. That's the cycle that you and I want to be. Loving God, loving others. Fulfilling what he's called us to do. 
as children of God. Do not be like your neighbors. And I call you to the Holy Spirit this morning. If others were to look at you today, if those closest to you were to, to describe you, would they say that you're set apart? That you have a pursuit of holiness? That you live different than those around the world? If not, I call you to repentance, confession, and receive the mercy of Christ as he forgives us and points us to loving God and loving others. If every head bowed, every head bowed and every eye closed as the worship team comes up, I just want you to take a moment to just to pause and consider what I've shared this morning, what's come through scripture, and then just lift up your heart as a prayer and ask the Holy Spirit, how would you call me to respond? Every response may be different for some. It may be to come into the kingdom. You don't know Christ. And so you need to come to faith, repent of your sin, and turn and trust him. For others, maybe it's a recommitment. To others, it's, Lord, to help me to pursue holiness. Help me to fight sin. Lord, it's to obey you, to love others. Whatever it may be, I call you to respond to how the Spirit has called you to. We'll be here afterwards to help you if you need any prayer. If you like any counseling, please let me know. We're here to love you, disciple you, to encourage you, and to help you in any way knowing that you do not have to walk this difficult road alone. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your commands here. And let us see that we are very much like the Israelites. And Father, we look from the past and we look around. And Father, we have a difficulty sometimes pursuing holiness because we yearn for what we had And we yearn for what we see around us. The Lord, strengthen our resolve to obey you with a heart full of love for the atonement that you set us apart, your children, to live differently from the world. Lord, that you may be glorified and that others may see our witness and be pointed towards you. Make us sufficient for we are not of ourselves. We praise in the name of Christ. Amen. God bless you. We want to invite you to join with us in 208 for dinner if you'd like to join with us for that. Would you stand as we just close out this part with My One Comfort. I love that song. Look close with us. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.